The estate planning package is not just the will. You also, an important part of planning your estate is to plan for incapacity. Welcome to the Reconnected Marriage Partners podcast. Hi, we are David and Eben, your host on the show. We know what it's like to feel less connected as a couple while juggling the increasing responsibilities and demands of work, life, and parenthood. We also know what it feels like to achieve a deeper level of connection and intimacy in marriage while raising a family. If you're ready to reconnect on a deeper level, reignite the passion in your marriage, and enjoy a more exciting and satisfying marriage, even if you're raising children with limited time, this podcast was made for you. Be prepared to be empowered and inspired to build the strong and connected marriage you truly desire. All right, let's light up that spark. Come on! Hi, friends, and welcome to another exciting episode on the show. Today, we have a special guest in our midst who will be talking about something that is important to families. We do understand that couples tend to avoid this discussion or shy away from it for various reasons. And very soon you know what we're about to talk about, you know, which then leads to, which could lead actually to undue hardship when one of the couple dies without having prepared one. And now when you've heard dying, you probably know what I'm talking about. So that's why we are having our special guest today who will be addressing us and telling us how couples can navigate this important decision in their lives. And we're actually talking about will and estate planning. So I want you to join me as I welcome Amy Murphy to the Reconnected Marriage Partners podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, David. I'm pleased to be here. Great. And we're pleased to have you. Thank you for making our time for us to have this conversation. And so, first of all, we'd like to meet you. Who is Amy Murphy? Oh, that's interesting. So I was raised in Peace River and I practice law now in Peace River. I also have a branch office in La Crete. Um, and so I've been practicing law for just over 30 years. Um, and just my big news this year is just four weeks ago, I got married myself. Well, congratulations. Thank well, you. Welcome on board. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's nice. So I know this is not part of the questions, but how does it feel to be married? Has married life been treating you this four weeks? Married life been treating me this four weeks? You know, it was more difficult than the three years earlier that we dated, actually, because I think your expectations do change when, when you get married mm -hmm. as to how decisions should be made and that kind of thing. So it's actually been more challenging than ever before. And that is, I, I think, it, I know people have different experiences with marriage, but I think m most people tend to actually have an eye-opening when they get into marriage because now the expectations may change and um, depending on how prepared people were for the marriage then may also depend what they see when they do get in so you are not alone most persons I would say I also 
had some form of disappointment when I got into the marriage um, because of some of the things that I thought, some expectations which I probably did not prepare well for. So, so you're in the right company. There we go. So, now talking of decisions, you know, when it comes to um, will and estate planning, it's one decision couples are supposed to make, but couples tend to shy away from it for for whatever reason. And so, I'll just want you to maybe just talk briefly, and so then we'll enter into we'll go into other questions. You know what it is about the last will and testament, and you know what it means in simple simple terms, and what is estate planning. Okay, so firstly. I just want to say a will, we think of it as there's three important components. One is you appoint the person, the executor we call them, uh, or personal representative, the person who is going to be in charge of collecting in your property and paying your debts. That is the executor. If you have minor children, you will also appoint a guardian who is going to look after the care and custody of your children if you're not there to do it yourself. And the third thing, well, sorry, four parts of the will. The third thing is how is your property to be distributed? And the fourth thing that people overlook, but it is equally important to any other part, and that's what powers of administration your executor is going to have. So the example I always use is in the absence of giving this power in the will, the executor would have to go to court to get permission from the judge to rent out real estate rather than selling it immediately, mm. right? So a very basic thing, if the real estate market is depressed, maybe you want to rent it out for two years, wait for the real estate market to come back before you sell. If that power is not in the will, the executive's got to run to court. <laughs> so four parts to the will. Um, but the estate planning package is not just the will. You also, an important part of planning your estate is to plan for incapacity. So heaven forbid that you have a stroke or you get dementia or Alzheimer's before your death, uh, some kind of brain damage, and you can no longer make decisions of a personal nature or a financial nature. You cannot deal with your finances and property. Right now, right now, while you have capacity, you do an enduring power of attorney so that there's someone who looks after your finances and property if you can't do it yourself. Similarly, right now, under a personal directive, you choose who will make your personal decisions, where you live, who you associate with, what activities you participate in, what health care you get, if you don't have the mental capacity to make those decisions. Okay. Good. Th- thanks so, so much. And, and, I, and I know, so for, for our listeners, like she said, she's, she's out of Peace River in Alberta. And I know different provinces and jurisdictions have their way to handle many of these things and will just advise that you you talk to your lawyer um, in those areas to give you insight into these areas in a sense. So the the major question is this why why do people avoid making or having the discussion of a will or even go about estate planning? For for me it took me, you know, I started doing it. I think it took me about three years to finally sign it. Even though I've heard about it, even heard stories of, you know, 
people who did not and all that. But for some reasons, I didn't just get to finally do it. It, it took me till my 40s. So why do you think people tend not to actually go ahead to do this, even though they know the importance of, of having it done? Oh, I think that you know, we all have this view that we're never going to die, right? <laughs> we all have this view of in, in, invincibility that mm -hmm. we're not going to die. So that's one of the reasons. Most, like many young couples, what motivates them to make their first will is the birth of their first children, okay. to appoint a guardian who will look after their child um, if, if they're not here to do it. Mm -hmm. So many people, that's when they make their first will, is at the birth of their first child. Um, for people who have just one marriage and share children with the same spouse you know I don't understand why they don't make wills earlier on but you know in a simple like that's a simple situation and the legislation will fill in the blanks where I think it gets more difficult is if a, a couple owns property and they want maybe one child to take on the business or take on the farmland and maybe the other ones don't and how do they how do they exercise some kind of even hand between the child that's taking on the business and the children who aren't mm -hmm. those are difficult questions in blended families where the, the you know the spouses have children from an earlier relationship how do you how does a person balance you know like money is often seen as love right so how do we balance between the love for our earlier children and my current spouse, whatever it is, or, my, or our spouse's children from an earlier marriage? Mm -hmm. So the more complex your situation is, the harder it is to sit yourself down and make those decisions, I would mm -hmm. think. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know probably even from, from a religious perspective, like you, you said, people tend to also think they will live forever. Some other persons feel that by the time they sit down to to make a will or do their estate planning, it kind of seals the deal that they are going to die. Uh, and there's also that superstitious, of course, thing of, oh, you know, if I'm making this will now, that means I'm setting up myself to die, kind of a, a, a thing. And, and so it's really been a few of, I know a few of my friends who have not gone ahead to do it and and they really don't have any reason per se they, they just don't um, some do have wake-up calls when maybe a friend dies and they realize that okay there's this struggle here and there and it's great you talked about you know the other complex situations of maybe a blended family where rain it becomes more complex in a sense and a will is much more important too to deal with. Thank you. I think people will probably like to understand what are the benefits or consequences. I know you, you, you did mention some of them, but I just want to make it a question on its own. What are actually the benefits or, or consequences of not getting this set up? Because I, I know people always want to know what is it, what is in for me. You know, mm -hmm. if, if I need to do this, mm -hmm. why do I need to? Well, so you have the freedom of choice, right? Okay. Um, with respect to, an, you know, a will, if you did not make your own will, 
the legislation, the government has made those decisions for you, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they will decide who has the first right to apply for a grant. It's called administration when there's no executor appointed, where there's no will. Instead of called being called a grant of probate, which is the case if it's there is a will, where there's no will, and then um, someone would apply for a grant of administration, same kind of idea, and the legislation says who would have the first right to make that application. The legislation also says how your estate would be distributed. So if you had a spouse, everything would go to your spouse if you shared the same children. If if uh, you did not share the same children, well, then there's a division between your existing spouse and your children. And so it's laid out by legislation. So if you want the government to decide how your property is distributed and who does the distribution, you don't do anything. The government's already done it for you. If you want to have a role in how those decisions are made, you draft a will. That's that's the best case scenario under a will where the where the legislation has made some choices. When it comes to incapacity, um, that's why, in my view, it's almost more important to to plan for incapacity than it is for death because there's no legislated decisions made for you. If you lose capacity because of a stroke or because of a heart attack or a car accident or Alzheimer's, then there's no legislation saying this is the person who has the right to apply for a grant of guardianship or trusteeship. So whoever does make the application, that application goes to the public trustee's office. They have to actually have a contract with a firm out of New York State who does a background check on the applicant. So that's a criminal record check, a child welfare check, and, and they decide who's an appropriate person to become your guardian, to become your trustee. Where I think that's a decision we would each rather prefer to make ourselves. Um, and the process for getting a guardianship order or a trusteeship order, you know, we've had situations where it's taken more than a year. And in the apps, in, in, in that, vac that vacuum where there's no legislated, nobody has authority to make decisions for you, nothing happens. So you, we cannot move you from a care facility. We cannot elect not to have a surgery. No decisions can be made because there's nobody appointed to make them for you. So, so where does the spouse come in if the, the, you know, just have one spouse, there's no other, so there's a spouse and there are children. Does, can the spouse have a say? I'm glad that you asked that particular question because many times people think, well, we're married. And if my spouse can't make a decision as to what care facility they want to be in, surely I am the married spouse of this person and the care facility, the institution, the government should respect what I say. Not true. Not true. Okay. I'm so glad you asked that because, yes, you know, for years that's how people functioned and that's how it worked. And I can tell you, absolutely not true. Um, we had a client, she resided here in Peace River. When her husband took ill, um, he got put, the, the facility that was available to him was in Grimshaw, 25 kilometers away. That's where he was put. He didn't have capacity. She did not have a guardianship order on him. It was over a year before they could move him to a care facility in Peace, Peace River, River where it would be more convenient for her to visit her husband. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I also asked that because honestly, I also felt that, you know, with a spouse, you know, 
we're married, so my wife should be able to make that decision for, for me. I, I think it may become more complex if there are older children. Um, well, that's, that was my thought, you know, because then now who is going to, you know... Well, that, that's where it's very difficult. If, if one spouse has already died and the remaining spouse ha doesn't have capacity, now which child should the care facility listen to? Because one child's going to think... No, sure, mom might burn down the house if she's left at home because she leaves the stove on, but she'll be happier there. And somebody else is going to say, no, mom's a risk to herself and others, she's got to be in the care facility. Who does the care facility listen to? Yeah. I, I, I don't know with, with my experience with um, seniors' health and uh, managing a, a senior care facility, um, though we don't use facility, we use home um, with the Eden language. I've actually seeing this fight, I'll put in quotes, you know, when it comes to the power of attorney and the personal directive of children um, not on the same page with what they want for their parents or parents. And so, of course, that dynamics now creates a lot of problem, even for the home, because now who are we going to ask money for? whose decision are we going to take or whose advice or who do we listen to you know and so what we, we we try to do is that before people actually come into this home we try to ensure that you know what get these documents in place it just makes everybody's life you know easier and restful you know and all that and so it's it's good to know that you know, it's not it's not just by marriage <laughs> that decisions can be made. We we need to get those documents um, in place. Wow, that was enlightening and educative. I believe you have learned a few things today. Amy Murphy has more to tell us. So please join us next week as we'll take the concluding part of this series. And don't forget to check out hard details on the podcast show notes. Till next week, when we bring you another enlightening and educative show, God bless you and yours. Stay connected. Shalom. If you like that among show, please don't forget to leave a review to spread the love. Hi, friend. If you've been inspired or found value in this episode, one of the best ways to thank us is to leave a written review on Apple Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share this episode with friends and family. And together, we can build stronger marriages, families, and communities. Stay connected. Shalom.